today as we jump into the rest of our, our Kingdom Culture series. Uh, I hope you would, it will reveal to you a little bit more about the heart of God. Uh, you coming in from the, from the outside uh, into the middle of a story, you always have to be careful. You know, how you could get into the half of the conversation and then you, you ask a question and everybody looks at you funny. You go, oh, okay, I probably got the context of the conversation wrong. <laughs> We're in the middle of a conversation here about kingdom culture and what it means for Christians to live a lifestyle of Christianity. You know, every organization and every um, people group and every uh, country has a culture. And the kingdom of God also has a culture. Because the kingdom of God is not just a, a place one day in heaven. The kingdom of God is something that lives on the inside of each and every Christian. And it starts transforming us inside so that then externally we start um, producing what has become internal reality. Let me say this to you. You will never change one little bit of your behavior until it has shifted inside. You will never change any behavior until internally you have become somebody different. Until your own view of yourself have changed away from what your external behavior would tell you that you are to what you know now in Christ you are. Until that realization drops from here to here and you know who you are is different from what you used to be or how you used to be. Until that happens, you cannot change. So that's why as a church, we don't bother about trying to clamp down on behavior. If somebody is, is showing behavior that is inconsistent with their Christian identity, we don't go and tell them, hey, you know, it's wrong to do this or it's wrong to do that. No, we come in and ask, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus been? Because it's only within a relationship with Christ that you will start seeing yourself differently. I can tell you all day what is wrong in your life. And you won't listen until the Holy Spirit, in a moment of clarity, drops into your spirit who you truly have become in Christ. And you realize that that's inconsistent with who I am externally. That's when the journey of transformation starts happening. That's when the journey of change starts happening. God is after your heart. He's not after your behind. God's not trying to punish you. God's trying to save you. He's trying to transform you. He's trying to change you. And so, so often, in, especially in a, in a religious environment, let me tell you all, we live in a religious culture. A culture that thinks they know everything about God, but they have all these things that they think are in the Bible, but they're nowhere to be found in the Bible if you go and look for a chapter or a verse about them. They think they know everything about God, and, and they reject God because they don't know the God of the Bible. And so I'm hoping that as a, as a church and as a, as, as, as a group of people, we can, we can understand the truth of God and how God's kingdom operates. First of all, the kingdom of God is not um, one day when we get to heaven. It's bigger than heaven. The kingdom of God is not a religion, and Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with a radical purpose. It's not a relationship among peers where me and God are, you know, homeboys and, and, and I get to tell them how I want to live my life. No, me and God are father and son and I'm about my father's business. The kingdom of God is a government. It is not a church. The kingdom of God is bigger than the church. The kingdom of God filters into everything, every sector of society. But here's the thing, first and foremost, the kingdom of God wants to filter in every single nook and cranny of your heart. He wants all access passes to our hearts. Have you given God an all access pass to your heart? Or are there still some things that you're keeping him at an arm's length? All right, God, I'll come to church, but I won't do that. All right, I'll go to a life group, but I won't do that. God, I'll say my prayers, but I won't talk to people. How about trying for once to just give God an all access pass? God, I'm willing to serve you in private, but I'm a be, I'm going to go about my own way of life in public. How about trying for once to just give God an all-access pass to every part of your heart? There's some things that we hold back from God, and for good reason, because we have wrong information. 
We think if we let God into that part of my heart, he's going to do something with me that I don't like. Au contraire. When you do, you'll find that God does something with your life that you couldn't have imagined life without it, how you lived without it. Every single time you hand over control to God's kingdom, to his government, to his, uh, to his, um, uh, to his, uh, uh, his governance, his leadership, he'll perform a work in you that you cannot imagine that you kept him out so long. He's a good God. He only wants what is best for us. And so I'm going to encourage you today. Don't keep God out of your heart. Don't keep God out of places. There are certain things that some of us are sitting with and we're going like, all right, God, we're in the journey with you, but we, want, we don't want you to speak into this yet. Lord, I'm not ready to, do, to talk about that yet. And he's patient, but he's also very persistent. I'm telling you, he's not going to go away. <laughs> but he's going to wait and he's going to be with you. He won't reject you. But he's going to be persistent. And you know what? God's going to wear you down. Until one day you just give in. I've had many of those moments where one, I was just like, okay, God, I give up. I give up. I can't do this anymore. Take it. What do you want me to do? It's moments of desperation. But God don't want us to get to those moments of desperation. If we would just walk in obedience, we would walk in his favor, in step with his goodness. Favor and goodness goes before us, opens up the way, make the rough places smooth, make the straight, crooked places straight. God creates order out of our chaos. But if we don't give him control of our lives, he can't do that. And so part of this, this series about the culture, the kingdom culture, is to understand how the kingdom of God operates. And, 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 and the value system, the, the thought patterns, the priorities that God wants us to build into our lives for our own good and for his glory. And if we will do these things and bring these, his um, uh, precepts and principles into our lives, it will create order like you've never seen before in your life. It will create order around you. Sometimes uh, we step into moments of chaos, you know, and we think like, God, where are you? Here's the thing. God um, wants to bring order to your life, to your existence. Everything that is out of whack, God wants to put back in place. Some of us are so jacked up that we try and make an effort toward God, but our environment don't want to let us. And to you, I want to say, you don't have to control your environment. All you have to control is your internal environment. And you have full control of what happens on the inside of your heart and mind. Nobody can dictate to you decisions you have to make. But at the same time, nobody can make those decisions for you either. And until you make those decisions, the kingdom's uh, 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 effects can take place in your life. Because the kingdom of God is not, oh, when that happens, that, you know, I can see, okay, it's going to start getting better for me. Some of us are so looking forward to, you know, when that happens. And you fill in the blank what that is. When I get a new job, when I find a man, when I, you know, get past the season. No, nothing is going to change out there until it changes in here. And so every one of us are called to respond to the kingdom of God to the point we want to say, your response is what determines your destiny. It's not your environment. Some of us have, have, have been crushed by our environment from the outside. I want to say this to you. The only reason, how, the only way external pressure can crush you if you, if you do not have internal pressure. Where are my mechanical engineers? Come on. If the internal pressure of the hydraulic system is strong enough, it pushes the external effects. And that's the presence of God in our lives. If you have the king present in your life and your life is centered around him and you live from presence, the internal pressure is big and strong enough to withstand any external pressure that this life can throw at you. He's made provision for that. He says that in any way, in any form where you are tempted, God always provides a way out. You will never be tempted beyond what you can handle. But he does not necessarily say that to just anybody. He says that to people who lives with an internal reality of the kingdom of God in their lives. This does not always count for just anybody. If you follow the principles of God, this, is will, this will count for you. So often we blame God for things that go wrong, but we should just look in the mirror 
and just ask ourselves, what did we do that was not according to God's will that led to this consequence? I, I hate that we are so quick to blame God for things that go wrong in life when really the solution is to look inside of ourselves and ask us, did we submit to God, resist the devil, and have him flee from us? Or did we submit to the devil? We resisted God, and the devil had his way with us. These things are truths that we can't escape. And in our religious environment, we often try to escape them because we look for places to put blame. Let's take responsibility for our own responses because as we shift here, externally things get better. We've been talking about kingdom culture and the definition that we've been working with is that kingdom culture is the everyday existence of a Christian that is characterized by kingdom attitudes, values, goals, practices, and traits. And I've been refining this definition as we've, gone, uh, as we've gone through it, but I really think that we're getting into something. It's, a, it's the everyday existence of a Christian that's characterized by kingdom attitudes, values, practices, traits, and goals. And last week we started talking about sonship, which is both an attitude and a goal in the kingdom of God. Number one, we want to grow into sonship. Number two, we want to act as sons. See ourselves as sons with the attitude of a son. If you go and visit your friend's family's home, no matter how familiar you are with them, you still don't fully act like a son when you are there. Right? They're, I mean, in the, in the best of cases, they might receive you and accept you as a, as a son in their house, but there are, just, there are just always a little less liberty for you if you're not in your own home. But when you are in your own home and you are in good standing with your, your parents, there's an attitude, there's a freedom. This is mine. This is my place. I take care of it as much as I enjoy it. I, 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 I like to welcome other people into it as much as I like to sometimes just leave it, right? And, 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 and go and enjoy things outside of my house. Go and visit other, other places. But the kingdom of God is about, about becoming sons that takes ownership of a place. It's a goal and it's an attitude. And last week we juxtaposed the phrase children of God and sons of God. And what it revealed was the journey to maturity for every child of God that God desires all of us to walk in. There's a difference when the, the Bible speaks about being children of God versus being sons of God. Children are loved, cherished unconditionally. That does not change for sons. But what's different is sons don't get keys. Oh, sorry, sorry. Children don't get keys. I said that wrong, right? Children don't get keys to nothing. Not a vehicle, not the front door, not the safe. But sons are entrusted with authority. And so God wants each and every one of us to move from being a child of God to becoming a son of God, where he can entrust the keys of the kingdom to us and through us see the kingdom of God expand on earth. Ephesians 4.13 talks about being until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to being a perfect person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All of these adjectives meaning to, to tell us that, hey, there is a progression. There is an end goal here that none of us have reached, but all of us need to be progressively working toward. Christianity is not about going to heaven. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Let me just, okay, I need, to, I need to throw eight or something because I need to kill a religious cow here today. Listen carefully, y'all. Christianity is not about going to heaven. Christianity is about stepping into a relationship with God. Heaven takes care of itself. Christianity is about becoming like the Son of God. Heaven takes care of itself. Here all we're trying to do is get to heaven one day, get to heaven one day, trying to balance our scales. That's baloney. 
There ain't nothing of that in the Bible in the New Testament. The Bible says this is eternal life, to know God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. The goal of Christianity is not to go to heaven. Heaven is a product of the solution, of the goal. The goal is to become a son of God with the likeness of Jesus Christ, to walk in the authority being about our Father's business here on earth and into eternity. That's the goal of Christianity. Are you a son? Are you walking in sonship? Are you growing in your maturity? Think about the difference between a child that is, that is three, four years old, five years old, and when somebody come, becomes 18, 21, there's a different expectation, right? For one, I don't want my 21-year-old to wear diapers no more. Right? They're just a couple of things that are no longer acceptable. And so you can, you can figure out what that means spiritually for you. But let me just say this. I don't want my 21-year-old to be making the same kind of stupid messes that my 3-year-old are making. You know, when the 3-year-old comes walking past the aisle and he just knocks, you know, my, 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 my food plate off the table, I go, brah. Come, let me help you clean that up. When my 21-year-old is oblivious to what's going on about him, unaware, and unself, not, not self-aware, and he's just walking around knocking things around, I'm going to have a slightly more bit of an issue with that. It's like my son. You need to start realizing what's happening in your life. You're a grown man now. This is unacceptable. Now, did I say that my love changes? No. Unconditional love remains a fact in both these stages. But I'm trying to raise you up here. I'm trying to give you authority. I want to give you the keys to my house. But you can't be trusted yet. I'm expecting you to grow. Here's what we don't realize. Is growth spiritually is not a factor of time. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. If you have not walked in the values, the practices, the goals, the attitudes, the traits of Christian culture, of kingdom culture, you haven't grown up yet. And God is calling us to growth. Now, does God have grace? Absolutely. Am I going to chase my son away? No. But I'm going to have more serious conversations. I'm going to have a greater appeal. I'm going to be truthful in love. Yes. Amen. I hear that amen. Thank you. You're the only one that's listening. I really need you today. You need to speak up, dude or girl. Is that the girl? Oh, that's the girl. Little Isaac. Good morning. Um, so let, let me read for you from Isaiah something about Jesus. Listen to the wording, okay? And again, like last week when we said there's different words, Greek words, that have meaning when the Bible says a child of God versus meaning when the Bible says son of God. It's not the same word. It's not just interchangeable. They mean it when they say it. Children, sons. The same in the Old Testament, just in a different language, Hebrew, but the same meaning comes out. Isaiah 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You see, the government wasn't given to a child. The government was given to a son. God wants to place his authority on us, but he, he needs sons and daughters. And when I talk about sons, it's not a, fa a matter of gender. It's a matter of maturity and immaturity for those of us who stepped into the middle of the conversation. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to head into that a little bit today. And then it says, of the increase of his government and, he, and peace, there will be no end. 
Imagine this amazing thing. God brings his government through his son on earth. And of the increase of the kingdom, the government, the rulership of God, there will be no end. And the peace that it brings will be everlasting. A child is born, meaning an immature babe. A son is giving, meaning a mature individual that can continue the family name. That can continue the family, build the family estate. Last week we saw that sons continue the expansion of the kingdom of God over the whole earth and into every nook and cranny. That means your workplace, your social environment, your family, your, um, um, what else is there? Uh, that's about what we do in life, right? We work, we play, we family, <laughs> right? God's kingdom wants to permeate every little nook and cranny and he wants to bring identity and definition to every part of our existence, and we do that by how? By, by signing up to learn from other Christians, mentors, or disciple makers, by getting into relationships where iron can sharpen iron, where we can form one another. We talked about how important it is to be in these discipleship relationships and for you at some point when you become a son to step into making disciples as well. Stepping up and taking responsibility for a group of people who are maybe in some of these, the, 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 the journey, as we said, of growing toward maturity and helping them take more progression toward becoming sons of God. According to Matthew 5, 9, it says this. Okay, so this is sons of God. And we're walking into um, the things that sons do as a kingdom culture. In fact, Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So we have this culture of the kingdom. God is calling us into this journey, this progression to become like his son. And as a part of this journey, we learn how to be peacemakers. I want to talk about this peacemakers because it says there that he is the prince of peace, of the government, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. So as sons of God, what must we do to continue God's kingdom? Last week we spoke about discipleship. Today I want to bring it into this concept of making peace of making peace, okay? So there's a correlation between all of these verses. Isaiah says the son is given that will carry on the, 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 the name, the government of heaven established on earth. It will be on his shoulders. And then there is a verse in Ephesians um, 4 that I wrote, that I, that I spoke about, becoming the, to, to the full measure of the stature of Christ that reveals that we are to become mature sons like Jesus was. And, and here in Matthew 5, we talk, it talks about that when mature sons arise and they come into a situation, they start making peace. They start making peace. And there's so much about peace in the kingdom of God that's important. We read in Romans 10, um, Romans 14, 17, it says that the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. And, and what it refers to there is regulations. In other words, it's not about rules of right and wrong, which is what religion is all about, right? But the kingdom of God is not about those things. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God operates in an entirely different mechanism or entirely different uh, operating system than what religions of the world operate on. They operate on a thing of right and wrong and measuring up to the standard by our everyday existence, trying to just balance the scales. The kingdom of God chucks that whole system out and says, Jesus finished all that and he introduced a new way of doing things and that is living for the king in obedience from a relationship. And so if you're still in this system of trying to balance yourself, like yesterday we were out, um, and I want to show you a couple of pictures after, after the message. Uh, doing a food drive in, in, in Crowley. Um, <laughs> and and, and one, of, one of the people that came by uh, that we, that we, that we um, you know, interacted with through the window, and some, we, we would pray over people and encourage people, um, and they would hear how many you know, families they were picking food up for, etc. And the one lady made this comment, and she said, y'all sure are making some brownie points for heaven today. <laughs> Uh, 
you know, I, I responded with truth and grace to her. But, but here's the thing. The brownie point system ended with Jesus, y'all. Jesus got all the brownie points, and he's just dishing out brownies right now. So, please hear me out today. Do not mistake the kingdom of God for the religious culture that we find ourselves in. There is too much to be learned, to be experienced of God, and the beauty of this relationship with Him, than to get stuck in an existence of condemnation, trying to work myself into feeling better again, doing wrong, feeling condemned, trying to work myself, feeling better again. Stop that. God don't want that for us no more. He wants us to walk in a place of freedom in relationship with Him where the love and acceptance that we get is based on what Jesus did, not on what we do. And so we can boldly come to the throne of grace anytime we need it. But it also requires a disposition of humble followership, saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to I'm going to let you define me and redefine 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 me. me. If you're getting tired of being redefined, y'all, there's a problem because that's what God wants to be doing with us. He wants to continue to redefine and redefine. Why? Because the you you are now is not yet the you that God has died for you to be. Jesus died for you to be. And he wants to grow you to become that which he has died for. He treats you now already as you are. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to work for him to accept you. He's accepted you in the beloved. But now he wants you to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Let that permeate every R part of you so that you might become more and more like him. Like as he already sees you, right? And as he treats you. Because he don't treat you no, anymore according to your sin. He, he, he goes for grace, right? Um, so how, how do we, how do we um, I want to I talk about two things today that we can do as sons of God that really shows the world God through this concept of peacemaking um, that will, I believe, achieve this ever-increasing kingdom from our lives to result in the world as well as uh, peace that, that outlasts anything, okay? So the first thing I want to say today is that um, sons or peacemakers create unity and forgiveness between Christians. Sons or peacemakers create unity for, for, and forgiveness between Christians, Jesus prayed over his disciples and over us also, because there's that verse that says, not only for these, but also those who believe through their testimony. Um, He was praying over them uh, that they would know the reality of unity with him and with one another. Jesus was not praying for peace in the world. Just hear me out. Jesus was praying for peace in the world. But he was praying for those who responded to his word. They will have peace. And I'll talk about that in a second as well. But he prayed that there would be peace between Christians. Unity between Christians. He knew that there would be a um, a reality of opposing kingdoms in this world. That would try and bring dissension the whole time. And so he prayed that Christians would be one, that there would be unity among us. John 17, 11, I am, no, I am no longer in the world. So he spoke about as he was going away, that he was going to go away. But they are in the world, and, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And I do not ask for these only, I'm skipping a couple of verses to verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
I believe it makes an incredible damage to the kingdom of God in fighting between Christians. Christians who are constantly judging one another, Christians who are constantly putting one another down, Christians who are constantly um, calling one another false this, false this, false everything. I believe it damages the kingdom of God more than it does good. I believe that there's a place to be found of unity among Christians that we can walk with love toward one another. We can walk in liberty when it comes to differences and that we can promote unity in essential doctrines about how to get saved. But y'all, it's really important that we pursue unity with other denominations. We pursue unity with other um, uh, 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 true Christian expressions. Now we know that there are those that are not biblical, and I'm not saying that we should just accept any old thing, right? And that we should now bring compromise, I'll talk that in a second, but to walk in love with other Christians and to celebrate who they are, I believe that's a God-honoring thing. And I believe that that is kingdom culture. It's to express value and appreciation for any Christian denomination out there, biblical Christian denomination out there. Here's why, verse 22 says this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one that as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. So again, so that the world may know that you send me and love them even as you loved me. Y'all, a part of our testimony as the Christian church is our unity, is our appreciation of our brothers and our sisters that believe differently slightly from what we do. That's a part of our testimony. So let me just say, sometimes we, we, we want to be real, like, you know, sensitive about things. And <clears throat> if you're feeling like you're going to overstep a line in judging somebody, rather just, just, just not say it. Just rather just be quiet and just contemplate. What was I about to say? Is this going to be true or is this going to be not so true, more emotional? Is this going to be like judgmental or is this just going to reflect truthfully what I experience and, and what needs to be said according to God's grace and his word? Many of us have come from different denominations to be a part of this church. And I want to tell you that that is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with making a switch to discover more of God and grow. But at the same time, when you come into our church, I don't want you to come dissing the one that you came from. I don't want you to come judging. And, and if your reason for leaving there is offense then you're not going to find a healthy spot here because you're going to pick up a fence here real quick soon. You're real quick too. Because a fence, a fence is not, a fence is a very human thing. All right? So, 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 so appreciating where you came from, what you learned there, what they instilled in you, valuing that and stepping into a more, stepping into a place, I want to learn what this place has to offer, what they can teach me. So I don't want to get into to, to do that too much, but I, I just want you to know that it matters to me how you come in. If you come in mad, then, you know, I, I want to help you calm down first. <laughs> I want to help you forgive if there were offenses, you know, done against you. I want to help you walk in forgiveness and grace to, to whomever or whatever you experience. I went through this, y'all. I grew up in a super traditional denomination. I came into a church like ours and I started learning things that blew my mind. And for a brief minute there, I became mad at my church, previous church, for feeling that they withheld truth from me. That they actively tried to harm me by withholding biblical knowledge of, from me. And, 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 and I became resentful and and started to really speak out against until somebody corrected me. And I realized that that's not the heart of God. And so I learned to appreciate the foundations that I learned wherever I was that were biblical. 
and I brought and I'm bringing that into my existence. And so right now, if I stand before you as a theologian, I don't stand before you as a non-dom theologian. I have incredible Reformed theology because the Reformed theology is hectically good. There's a lot of Reformed theology that is solid Orthodox Christianity that you would do well to take heed of. I take my roots for what I learned from it, and I value it, and I honor it. And so now I can love people that are in traditional churches. I can see the sincerity that some have, that most have, in those churches. I can step into those services and not feel, oh, this is just, oh, this is just dead religion all around me. No, I can find life even in those situations. Why? Because I don't, you can never reach anybody that you despise. And in this religious environment, if we're going to despise people that have a religious mindset, we're never going to reach nobody. We're going to offend people left, right, and center. But if we can appreciate their sincere desire to serve God, and we can start influencing them from love and grace, now that's a different story. We can show them a revelation that we have, that's a different story. So I want to ask you, wherever there is a lack of peace between you and brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, there's probably a lack of maturity, maturity too. And God is asking you to grow. God is asking you to go make right. God is asking you to forgive and to put that behind you and to work toward reconciliation and restitution. And honor and value, as we spoke previously about the culture of the kingdom and therefore also this church, is that we live with a culture of honor. We live with a culture of honor. Um, so James 3.13 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. God wants us to pursue this peacemaking amongst all of us. And I'm not even talking yet about us internally here. I'm talking about us right now with the, the greater body of Christ, but it includes us here. Verse 16 says this, for where jealousy, I read that one. Um, no, this is actually verse 16. I didn't read this, this yet. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable. First pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness. Remember we said righteousness means what? Right standing and right living, right? It's both. It starts with right standing, but then it starts externally resulting in right living. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Testimony of Scripture is for us to walk in peace with one another. It's also a testimony to the world that Jesus is true. Jesus is real. You know, it's probably on the top ten of... Um, um, Objections for why people uh, doubt God's existence is the disunity in the church. Just think about that. How do we build unity with a body if we have differing opinions and doctrines? Here's three points I want to give you today that will help. One, honor the revelation of God that they have. Everybody, according to the Bible, sees in part, knows in part, speaks in part. Y'all, we do too. Honor their revelation of God. Appreciate it. Learn from it if you can. Honor their revelation. Second thing, be humble about your revelation of God. If you found God, something about God, be humble about that. 
Because you know that, 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 that there's been people that have believed things about God and realized that it's incomplete. And to be honest, everything we realize about God is still going to be incomplete. We can never fully, fully see the full glory of God. But the more we realize about him, the more we know him, right, really what it should do is it should humble us more. Churches that, that become prideful when they get a new revelation of God, for me, that's a, that's a, that's a contradiction. Knowing more about God should make us more and more humble and willing to serve people with our revelation, which is the third point. Serve all, Christ, serve all people, but in this case, all Christians, from your revelation without forcing it on them. Like if you've experienced God as being a gracious, gracious God, my question is, do people experience grace from you when you talk to them about God? Or do you have to use the words to say it? Will they just experience it from you? Let our experience, how people experience us, let it echo what we would have said to them if we were to talk, right? And we're not saying that we don't have to talk because we do have to talk. But we can't talk and then contradict <laughs> with our lifestyle. And so if you think that you have a revelation of God that is different from somebody else, make sure that they experience that revelation through you. Serve people with that revelation. Even the ones who disagree with your revelation. Look, if them disagreeing <laughs> stops you from being it, do you really have the revelation yet? So, if, if, if you're trying to convince somebody about something about God and, and they don't agree with you, and then that makes you step completely out of what you know about God. God is gracious, compassionate, full of love, or, uh, 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 um, compassionate, um, slow to anger, rich in love, and then this person disagrees with something and you lose your temper on them. <laughs> Inconsistent. God wants us to become sons of God that walks in security. It's okay if you don't agree with me, but I'm going to serve you from what I know anyways. And maybe the goodness of God will lead you to change your mind about God. So serve all Christians from your revelation. So Matthew 23 says this, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. John 17, 21, I'm reminding us, so that the world may believe that God has sent Jesus. The peace between us is what, we rep, is what we present to the world as a testimony of the realness of God. Um, okay. But there's also this reality that in this world we will face trouble. So let me read a couple of these verses again to, to, to bring us into the next part of the, of the, of the message today. Um, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. But the very next verse describes a scene that is almost like disconcerting. Here's what it says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. So, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're the sons of God. <laughs> but blessed are those who are persecuted. For they will be, uh, they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account. You are blessed if this happens to you, but this might happen to you. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We try and avoid persecution as much as we can. 
the kingdom of God don't really promote trying to avoid persecution. It actually tells you when you're persecuted, consider yourself blessed. Now, why would it not say, hey, you know, try as best as you can not to be persecuted, um, you know, start trying. Why does it just give us consolation for when it happens? It's probably because it expects that what it expects us to do will automatically lead to these things happening to us. So I have a, I have a question for you. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this one out today. It's different than it used to be. Let me just put it down like this. Sorry if this is distracting you. I'll, I'll, I'll shape up. I'll shape up. I'll shape up. Let me ask you this, though. Have you ever experienced persecution because of Jesus? Has anybody ever said anything bad about you because you claim to have faith in God? If you've never experienced anything of that kind, that's just a question of self-reflection I want you to have. If everybody everywhere is always just okay with you, is that okay? Just a couple of Sundays ago, we preached about Matthew 10, and I made the point that, you know, kingdom culture brings us in confrontation with the world. Not because we do offensive things, but because we ask people to bow their knees to Christ. Matthew 10, 34, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, Jesus said, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. What is Jesus describing here? Jesus is describing a confrontation between darkness and light. And those who claim to be of the light will naturally be in conflict with those who are in darkness. Not because we do something offensive, but because we're asking people to submit to Christ. So, here we have Jesus, I didn't come to bring peace, but you'll be sons if you're peacemakers. How do we reconcile that? Right? Blessed are the peacemakers, but you know, you're going, to have, you're going to have confrontations in this world, and they're going to lead to you being persecuted and reviled and spoken of falsely um, because of me. For me, it makes absolute sense. Um, here's what happens, though. So often we see <laughs> how, how people, they're so desirous for the world to accept Christ that we make the mistake of watering down the Christian faith to a version that we think would fit into people's lives without them having to make many changes. So churches will try to present a gospel that is so palatable that the culture don't even have to really shift any to adopt it into. Like, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. How does that differentiate you from how the rest of the world operates? Well, Nothing. But I'm going to go to heaven. Okay. And that might be true. You might be going to heaven. But what's also true is that you've been presented with a very, very diluted version of what kingdom is, what Christianity is. Because a Christianity that asks not of you to change is definitely not the full picture. It's definitely what the Bible presents for us. And so... And I know sometimes that's kind of like, people go think like that's an approach. You know, if we can just get them in, then hopefully over time they'll, you know, they'll catch up. Um, I kind of see it like relationships, you know. If uh, whatever you accept of a person before you get married, don't try and change that of that person after marriage. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Come on, married couple. It's not, it, it, it's not feasible. Hey, I got the girl. Why the heck should I do anything different than what I did before? This is what I did to get her. This is what I'm going to do to keep her. I'm telling you, this is how it works. 
So I would rather tell people up front to count the cost, like the Bible would say, count the cost of becoming a disciple. He says, unless you're willing to pick up your cross daily and follow me, you're not worthy of being my disciple. And if anybody didn't tell you that before you became a Christian, I am sorry. I want to correct that. With all the love and the grace and the truth that comes with a compassionate God. For to receive the, 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 the products of what God's kingdom is promising you, there is an entirely different thing called the kingdom of God that has to come and, and, and take governance of your heart. You don't produce man's, God's outcomes with man's uh, behavior. You just don't. You will never get the promises of the Bible become true in your life if you don't change your ways. It's just fact. It's just fact. Now, will you die and go to heaven if you believe in Jesus? Absolutely. But it's not about heaven, y'all. It's about God and this beautiful Father that wants sons, to, women included, to be raised up to become like Christ and to step into their destiny, step into their authority and take the kingdom of God to this world to save more people and go to heaven. To go to heaven. See how we... Our language is even so messed up to go to heaven. No, 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 to become like Christ. So this is why I think this makes sense for me. Like I said, there's, there's, there's maybe feel like there's a contradiction. I just think peacemakers are people that show the way to have peace with God. By realizing we're not making peace exclusively with people, but we are offering peace for people, if they would accept Jesus, we see how in this world we will not have, always have peace with, with this world. But by continuing to offer peace to the world with God, they might step into the same relationship we have of peace with God and peace with one another. And that's the call to sonship, is to make peace. What does it mean in plain English? Yo, we have to help people find God. Because outside of Christ, we cannot have peace. And everybody prays for peace in the world. It's not going to come outside of Christ. It can't. It's opposing views. You want me to bow, you want me to bow your knee? I don't want to bow my knee. You want me to, 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 to obey the Bible? I don't want to obey the Bible. The more you push, the harder I'm going to push. It's confrontation out there. But confrontation is not wrong because Jesus came to introduce confrontation. Jesus came to make war. Why? Because there was only one kingdom in operation on this planet. It was the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus came and introduced his kingdom through his sacrifice back to earth that have been advancing and it's driving out the darkness. It's war. But inside the kingdom, it's peace. Y'all see the difference? He came to bring peace. But there's terms. And the terms is Christ. And outside of those terms, deals off. I will drive you out. But if you don't want to be driven out, you can join. And so our job is as a testimony among Christians. Find something you can honor about another person. Find something. It's a culture of honor. Honor the revelation of God that other denominations and other people have. Be humble in your own revelation and serve people from that revelation so that your revelation might be incarnate. It might become flesh for them, that they might see it. Maybe if they see it in you, they might believe it. You know, God requires sons who will believe until they see so that those who are not sons will see 
and learn how to believe. Where are my sons is God's ask, is God's question. Let me read to you um, Matthew 5, but before that I want to say this. Being a peacemaker is not being a compromiser of kingdom truths, but a revealer of kingdom access. That's how we make peace. That's how we offer peace to the world, is to reveal to them how to access the kingdom of God. But if we dilute it down, that's not the desire of God. And so remember, it doesn't matter where you are in your growth journey. Is there unconditional loving acceptance in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Is there grace and patience? Yes, but there's also persistence. And there's also a call to this ever-growing journey with God. So don't feel condemned for where you are in Christ. There is no condemnation to where you are right now. But there is a very clear invitation to you today to step into growth with Jesus and to become a son of God. And one of the big things that we, I believe, sons do is they make peace. Not just among Christians, but they also make peace with the world. Not by compromising the message or avoiding confrontation, but by pro providing access, by showing how Step into the kingdom of peace. Matthew 5.13 says this, You are then the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost the taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. This all talks about different expressions of people trying to be Christians under other circumstances. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to be influencing anything around me. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to hide the fact that I'm a Christian. No, it puts on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to tie it all together. This means as we, as we mature, God begins to put the government of his kingdom on us. And we become builders of the family name who represent the character of God to the world, revealing him to people to the ends of the earth and causing them to worship by acknowledging him and making peace with God through accepting Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul. As he speaks to the people in Corinth, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Again, an ambassador is a governmental position. We are ambassadors of Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. As Christians, we all need to go out there and be like, mm, We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So today, I want to ask you, is there somebody that you need to make, make peace with? Is there some perspectives about other places that you need to let go of? You know, there's only one, there should only be one accuser of the brethren. Please don't become an accuser of the brethren. That job has been filled. Okay, and he does a pretty good job at it, unfortunately. Let's not be accusers of the brethren. Let's live to honor and build one another up. Love covers a multitude of offenses. Let's live to, 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 to build unity with one another and with other uh, members of the body of Christ. But then let's not back down from presenting the truth of access to a kingdom of peace, even when it leads to confrontation. Let's be peacemakers and let's be peacemakers in both of these places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as we consider your word, I pray that we will be transformed into your likeness, to the image of your Son, that we might all take a, a moment internally to, to, to accept your truth and to, to progress toward it, God, to, to embrace this truth and make it, make it us. 
and start viewing our, this as our opinion, your word, so that when it becomes an internal reality for us, we might start living as such in this world. I pray that every heart here will be, will be motivated to accept your truth. And as we know the truth, be set free from who we used to be so that we can become more like you. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen and amen, amen, amen. God bless you. I'm going to take a minute, Chuck, to just celebrate a couple of things. But you can come stand with me. Yesterday, we had an incredible opportunity to serve our community um, with, a, with a food drive. Um, so there's a, there's a slideshow there that I want to just, or a couple of slides, a couple of pictures I just want to show you all real quick. Uh, of just some of the things that happen out there. Um, thank you to our outreach team and some of our life group leaders that came out. Y'all, this food drive is going to be a project that we'll be involved in as OSC Crowley in partnership with this uh, church called Love of Christ Baptist Church in, in Crowley in, in, on West Hutchison. And they're just doing a phenomenal job, but they needed help. And so we responded. And we're going to, every month on the third Saturday, we're going to start serving at this project. And I'm going to just say this to you, that everybody who came out this week just had an incredible time of just blessing people with a, with a lot of you know, good food. Not just, not, 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 not just any old food, y'all. Food. Um, and they received bundles of it, like bulk, bulk, you know, uh, um, loads of it. Um, and so I want to I want to say this though our life groups are gonna rotate in serving at it and if you want to be a part of serving at this please speak to Mr. Mike Paradine over here Mike just stand up real quick um, Mike is our outreach uh, committee leader um, but they're not the ones that do all the work they're gonna activate all of us I would like to invite you to become a part of this outreach effort to our community. And what we did was we hand out our food, but we also want people that goes and walks along and hands out uh, encouragements, you know, to the guys and the people in the cars and offer prayer to people. It's, it is so easy to reach out to people in the car line. They're like sitting ducks, all right? They can't go nowhere. They have to stay there and move to get, to get food, right? So you don't even have to shoot in flight, man. It's like they're sitting and, and they've got, they're like those decoys. They have these anchors on their feet. They can go nowhere. So, um, sorry, I've been duck hunting, obviously. Um, but it was just awesome. You know, incredible prayers, incredible moments with people that it just gives opportunity for us to do exactly this, what we spoke about today. Show people access to peace. They come, obviously, because they have need. Uh, we want to give them that, but we also want to give them the spiritual needs that they have and uh, provide for that. So um, when we do this again in October, um, the third weekend of October, don't worry, it's not Rice Festival weekend. It's the week before that. Um, uh, please, uh, please be willing to sign up for these outreaches. We're going to serve this on a continuous basis as a part of our church's kingdom of culture of reaching out and sending us uh, our troops out into the world. Um, and then just on a little more somber note, I just want to um, remember one of our dear members today um, and pray over her family. Can you put a picture up there for us of Miss Mabel Trahan? It's in the folder as well. Miss um, Mabel Trahan. Miss Mabel was an incredible lady, woman of God, was a member of this church for many, many, many years. Um, Donna or Kevin, how old did Miss Mabel um, get? She was like, 96 and up until the last moment she prayed for us she you know had had love for this church she um uh the, oh can you see it oh snap no can you make it smaller somehow oh my goodness i didn't working on it okay thank you guys um Anyway, so we want to honor Miss Mabel for her incredible faith. And look, y'all, Miss Mabel encouraged me. Every time I had a moment with Miss Mabel, she would lay hands on me. She would pray over me. She would speak the truth over us. Um, and I don't know if y'all know much about that, but there's a principle in the Bible about laying on of hands and blessing and passing blessing on to people. And Miss Mabel would bless us, you know, um, Oh, snap, I'm so sad that, that picture. But anyways, um, hopefully they can get it. Miss um, Mabel would, would pray over us so many times. And uh, um, we, 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 uh, 
We didn't get to see her a lot at church in the last couple of um, years because she was, uh, she was, you know, elderly and, and our ramps and things that we have here weren't always that good. But she would always sit in the back there. And I would always know when she was here because she would be lay, raising her hands and she would be um, interacting um, like this was her own, um, you know, her own mission field and etc. So let's all just pray over Miss Mabel's family and thank God for the incredible gift we had in her. And hopefully they can fix the picture before then. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the gift that we had in Miss Mabel. Father, as she was received in glory, uh, we rejoice, God. We rejoice with her because uh, we know she's rejoicing right now, looking at you face to face, seeing all the beauty and all the incredible things that we can never even understand yet. But Father, we just thank you for everything that she had spoken over us, that she had prayed. And we pray, Father, that those prayers would still materialize, that they would still come true, that what she blessed us with would still manifest in our, in our midst. Um, Lord, as we honor her memory and her faith, we just thank you that you're with her family and with her friends, people that knew her here um, and that uh, invested in her life. We just bless them and we thank you that you'll bring comfort to their hearts as well. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.